Hello, and welcome to the Horrid History Podcast, educating you on the dark, twisted, and morbid truths of our past. I'm Amanda Sargent. And I'm David Cheney. On this podcast, we will be discussing the ill-fated trip of the Donner Party, a story of death, despair, and even possible hints to cannibalism. Interestingly enough, um, I'm a history buff, and I had never heard of the Donner Party until you, David, actually mentioned it to me. It was like yes, a year you're or welcome. so ago. Yeah, it was like a year or so ago, and you actually introduced me to this crazy story of this of this group of immigrants that get stranded in the Sierra Nevada mountains and are forced to resort to cannibalism during the winter of. 1846 and 47. A lot of people were sort of strained by the finite amount of land and wealth to be had on the eastern shore. It was hard to find good farmland. It was hard to find a good job. And you know, you need a good job and you need a good farmland when you have like six plus kids running around. Uh, So that was an incentive for a lot of people to travel westward on the Oregon and California Trail. Yeah, and this story actually of the Donner Party is, uh, it's a legendary part of the American West and in and, and the travel westward. Um, it's been put into books, TV shows, documentaries. Uh, it's even like acknowledged in pop culture. Yeah, there's there's an opera about it, which oh, is really wow. kind of, yeah, there's an opera about it. It's kind of crazy. And this story really sort of embodies the hardships and the trials that were encountered by pioneers. Mm-hmm, uh, this, this story is sort of unique in itself in that. It's still notorious now, you know, over over a hundred years later, we we still tell the story of the Donner Party. Uh, so this story begins like many other stories on the Oregon and California Trail. Uh, the 16 members of the George and Jacob Donner families leave their farm in Springfield, Illinois on April 14th, 1846. They had actually publicized their trip in the local newspapers uh, and advertised for other local families to join them. And one of these families was James Reed, who was a pretty wealthy businessman. Um, They had about nine wagons, and they began their 2,500-mile-long journey to California. Uh, From Springfield, they traveled for about three weeks and 250 miles to what is now Independence. Well, I guess then it was Independence, Missouri as well. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is the, <laughs> the first stepping stone on the journey west. It was estimated that the trip would take them about four months, um, and they would have to travel through deserts, uh, mountains, pretty much everything you can think of lay between them and California. Yeah, and uh, if you're like me and David, uh, you've probably played the Oregon Trail video game. Yes, yes, and absolutely. And Independence, Missouri is your starting place. And, you know, if you've played the video game, you that's where you buy all your supplies, that's where you get your wagon, that's where you potentially load up your wagon full of clocks. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I never did that because I thought it was a silly move. Um, I was always, all of mine would buy or uh, die of dysentery within like a couple of days. I was of really bad at it. It was terrible. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, the, 
the party loaded up their wagons. They you could buy flour, bacon, lard, coffee, livestock, clothing, farm implements, just mm-hmm. about anything you could imagine at Independence, Missouri. Uh, because you know it was it was this jumping off point for the the trails. Uh, the party left Independence on May twelfth, eighteen forty six. And the following week, they joined a bigger wagon train led by Colonel William Russell. Mm-hmm. The first pro- portion of this journey was touted as the easiest. And oh, yeah. it, definitely, definitely. They didn't have any problems. Uh, it was going really well. And the Donners and Reed were both really invested in a publication called The Immigrant's Guide to Oregon and California. And it was written by a man named Lansford Hastings, whose name... Uh, will become very synonymous with trouble here in a little bit. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Hastings is kind of a central aggressor. He's sort of the, the villain of the story. Absolutely. On June 27th, 1846, the group arrived at their next stop on the trail, uh, Fort Laramie in present-day Wyoming. And it was here that James Reed actually encountered an old friend of his, who had traveled a new route mentioned in the Immigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, touted as the Hastings Cutoff. Um, and it was supposed to save him between like 250 to uh, 400 miles. And his friend basically said, this route is terrible. Don't take it. Uh, I could barely pass it by foot. Um, however, that did not uh, deter the party. No, actually, a week later, they encountered a courier with word from Hastings himself. And this letter encouraged all immigrants on the trail to hurry and meet him at Fort Bridger. And he was going to personally guide him over his cutoff. Well, this was big news for the Reed and Donner families because there wasn't a lot of really, you know, travel material. You know, nowadays we can just order a travel guide from anywhere and know what we want to go see and what we're going to do when we go to our destination. But uh, there wasn't really anything like that in the 17th century. And Lansford Hastings was was sort of touted as an expert on the California and Oregon Trail. I mean, this man had written a book. He wrote a book. Uh, so he was kind of well-known and he had a certain notoriety about him. And even though James Reed's friend had said that the route was bad, getting word that Hastings himself was going to mm-hmm. personally escort the immigrants over the cutoff, that really reassured the Reed and Donner families that the route was safe and secure. So on July 19th, the wagon train led by Colonel William Russell reached the Little Sandy River, and this is where the trail split off into two routes, the well-known path and the road to Fort Bridger, a.k.a. Hastings Cutoff. Yeah, and so a lot of historians and just random individuals have been trying to figure out why would they take Hastings cut off. And there's a couple reasons why. Um, as yeah. Amanda mentioned previously, Hastings promised the party that he was going to lead the caravan. So obviously they weren't going to get deserted and wind up somewhere where they weren't supposed to be. Um, the route promised to save them 350 to 400 miles. And back then that's a lot considering that wagons uh, at a maximum were traveling about 15 miles per day. Oh Yeah. So this time saver is immense. We're talking months or weeks. And it's not just that the wagons travel slowly. The wagons are full of all of their provisions, all of their worldly possessions. So the oxen are pulling very heavy loads. And in order to sort of decrease the strain on the beast, a lot of times the family would actually walk alongside the wagon. So it's not that you're riding the 15 miles a day. A lot of the time you're walking 
Mm-hmm. So a route saving up to 400 miles, that's a huge time saver. And that's a whole lot less walking. Also, uh, Reed and Donner, both Donners, Jacob and George, heard from a man named Jim Bridger. And if this name sounds familiar, uh, <laughs> he was involved in the popular um, Hugh Glass ordeal. And that ordeal was made popular in the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, The Revenant. And he was actually the individual who said he was going to stay behind with Hugh Glass, but then later uh, abandoned him when he wasn't really dead. And so this guy doesn't exactly have the uh, best reputation for being an honorable person. Well, Um, any man who would abandon Leonardo DiCaprio is obviously a bad guy. Rose did it in the Titanic, so she makes her a bad person, too. Whoa! Um, <laughs> but uh, Jim Bridger told James Reed that, yeah, this path's fine. It's great for wagons. Um, plenty of water, grass for the oxen. You're going to be fine. Um, and it just wasn't. That's that's the fact. And there's been speculation, especially by historians today and, and uh, individuals who research the topic, that Jim Bridger may have done this because he had... Uh, a venture there it was a trading outpost for furs and and other things and so they were thinking that the reason he wanted people to take the cutoff was because he would get more customers through his trading post jim bridger fort bridger see any connection here maybe a slight one maybe a little (laughs) yeah and so luckily a majority of the actual wagon train decided not to take the cutoff um they they knew that it wasn't well known. It was it was pretty new. Uh, they worried that something bad would happen, and they are very smart nowadays. Uh, but <laughs> at the time, they didn't know, and they knew that they hadn't encountered any problems thus far. So what's the point in cutting off this chunk of unknown uh, trail that we've never been on? Why don't we just follow the regular trail? Who cares if it takes a little longer? At least we know we're safe. And so yeah. a lot of the a majority of them just said no. No Hastings, uh, no Donner, no Reed. We're not going with you. So they went ahead and went the uh, normal, well-known route. Yeah, the uh, better safe than sorry route. The Donner Party, this is where it really truly becomes the Donner Party, is when they split off from the main uh, when they split off from the main wagon train. George Donner is appointed the leader, and the group arrives at Fort Bridger on July 28th. When they get there, unfortunately, they find that Hastings has already left. He led a group of wagons out of the fort about a week prior to their arrival, but he had left instructions for other groups to follow his lead. So on August 6th, the party receives word from Hastings that his initial route that took them through Weber Canyon was impossible, and he recommended a new route through the Salt Basin in present-day Utah. Now, at this point, the wagon train was about 87 people and roughly 23 wagons. And this new route proved very difficult. The party had to clear trees and other obstructions out of the path. Their 10 to 15 mile pace a day that they were used to slowed down to barely two. Several wagons had to be abandoned. Provisions were running low, as was the party's morale. And when the group finally reached the Great Salt Lake Desert on August 30th, they were worn out. They were pretty done. Hastings had claimed that it would take them about two days to cross the desert, but he didn't realize that the sand was very wet and it was very deep. 
the wagons sank in the muck and this really slowed their progress even further. And by their third day crossing the desert, they had almost completely ran out of water. And this led to the party's oxen stampeding. Uh, So they ended up losing a lot of their livestock in the process. Uh, By September 26th, the wagon train's path finally met up with Hastings' original route. Uh, Their detour had added 125 extra miles. And the harsh terrain had bred nothing but resentment for Hastings and James Reed, who had championed the route. Yeah, and if you think things are getting bad, they're just going to get worse from here on out. Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. On October 5th, more than two months into the trip, a fight broke out between Milt Elliott, who was James Reed's teamster, and John Snyder, who was a driver for the Graves wagon. Uh, The oxen had become entangled, uh, and as James Reed had attempted to intervene to stop the fight, uh, Snyder hit Reed on the head with his whip. And so as Snyder was about to hit Reed again, Reed thrust his knife into his chest. Uh, Snyder stumbled up the hill a few feet and passed away right there. Now, Reed didn't really have a great reputation within the party. Uh, He was a bit of an asshole. (laughs) Just to be honest, he was a bit of an asshole. (laughs) Uh, They were already mad at him for championing the cutoff. And now they were even more angry because he had just killed someone. Um, and the party, they were just done. They didn't want to deal with Reed anymore. Lewis Kiesberg suggested hanging Reed for his crimes, uh, but majority rule declared that James Reed was to be banished from the party. However, his wife and children were allowed to remain. Uh, The harsh terrain had left the draft animal exhausted. Uh, In order to lighten the load, party members began walking alongside the wagons, as Amanda mentioned earlier. Yeah, they began um, doing it far more frequently because the they were all so very tired. Mm-hmm. And two days after the murder of Snyder, uh, Kiesberg actually turned out another party member. And from our research, the only thing we can really find out is that it was an older man and his name was Hardcoop, or he went by Hardcoop. And yeah. uh, he just simply couldn't keep up with the group. Uh, his feet were swollen. And so he actually began knocking on wagon doors, begging Uh, to be allowed to rest, but no one would let him into the wagons, and so he was just left along the trail, exhausted and unable unable to walk. On October 16th, they reached the site of present-day Reno, Nevada. The party sent ahead Charles Staunton and William McCutcheon to Fort Sutter to get some supplies. The long route had really depleted their provisions and water, as we'd mentioned, and at the fort, McCutcheon actually fell ill and had to stay behind, but Staunton returned with seven mules and a bunch of beef and flour, and two Native American guides. Mm-hmm. He also had news of a clear but very difficult path through the Sierra Nevada mountains. And after a five-day rest to relieve the animals, the party began their final push for the fort. Their troubles were far from over. Absolutely. Uh, whenever they actually started the ascent uh, through the pass, the axle of George Donner's wagon broke, and so 22 members of the party stayed behind so that they could help Donner repair his wagon. Um, however, when George Donner was cutting timber to fashion a new axle for the wagon, uh, he cut his hand badly, and it later became infected, and this only further uh, hindered and made the party's progress hopeless. Now, this is where the Donner party turns into the thing of legends. Uh, this is where they gain their fame, their ill-gotten fame, as it 
maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really this is really where the the fun part begins. It's a morbid way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, a morbid way of putting it. <laughs> uh, the snow began to fall rapidly before the wagons could even reach the summit. Uh, with only 12 miles between the Donner Party and the Sierra Pass, the group became stranded. Uh, the 22 people who had stayed behind with George Donner, they made cl- camp at a place called Alder Creek, while the rest of the group, who were about six miles ahead, uh, chose a spot known as Donner Lake. Leanna Donner, George's 12-year-old daughter, uh, accounted that the snow was falling as the families made camp at Alder Creek. Um, however... At Alder Creek, all they simply had was the tents that they had purchased in Independence, Missouri earlier. And so these tents were not meant to last this long in these types of conditions. So it wasn't an ideal situation. Uh, The people at Donner Lake fared a bit better. Uh, There were a couple of abandoned cabins on site that they could take shelter in, and they were lucky enough to construct a third cabin before the snow got too deep. Patrick Breen actually maintained a journal during the wagon train's trip, and he's sort of known as the best primary source when it comes to talking about the Donner Party because he actually wrote as things happened. Uh, he writes that he writes about the horrible weather, saying, it "Began to snow yesterday, snowed all night, and snows yet rapidly. Extremely difficult to find wood. Snow nine feet deep. A tree, when felled, sink, sinks into the snow and is hard to be got at." Uh, and at one point, he records that the snow is higher than the cabin. Uh, allegedly, the snow during this winter was about 22 feet deep. Can you, I can't imagine that. That's insane. Yeah, I uh, I don't really like it when there's even just a dusting of snow on the ground. So I'm the exact same way. Oh I, my gosh. I uh, can't do it. <laughs> yeah, 20, 22 feet, I, I cannot. Oh, please, no. No, no, no. Um, by the end of November, the group at Donner Lake had slaughtered the last of their livestock for food, and they began to get desperate. And up to this point, the party tried many times to uh, reach the summit and make it over the mountain. However, each attempt failed and they simply had to go back. However, on December 15th, uh, one of the members of the Donner Lake group died from malnutrition. So the group finally Mm -hmm. decided that they needed to do something now uh, to save the rest of the party. And so 17 men, women, and children who were the strongest of the party... Um, and to say strongest is an interesting way of putting it because these individuals are still uh, suffering from malnutrition, frostbite. Yeah. So they yeah, weren't. By, by strongest, we mean the people who could still walk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and these 17 were known as the Forlorn Hope, and they pretty much suffered some of the worst uh, horrors of this entire trip. Um, they only packed, uh, six days starved rations and they hoped that would carry them the 150 miles to safety, which didn't. Not hardly. Uh, they made good progress for about eight days until a snowstorm hit. And the storm continued on for three days. The party got lost. They had no shelter, no fire, and they ran out of food. Party members started dying. Uh, Charles Staunton had to be left behind in the snow. Franklin Graves, he died in the arms of his daughters. Mm-hmm. And eventually the group is forced to feed on the dead. Yeah, and the way it's actually brought up the first time, Patrick Dolan proposes that a party member should sacrifice themselves for the better of the group to feed the group. 
However, William Eddy opposes this decision and, and instead suggests that instead they wait until someone falls and dies and then that will be the person who dies. Um, the party also decides to draw for straws um, to see who should die in order to save the rest of the group. However, whenever a loser was actually decided, uh, the party members couldn't bring themselves to kill them. Uh, on December 25th, which is Christmas Day. <laughs> Merry uh, Christmas! Yeah, Merry Christmas for these individuals. <laughs> uh, Patrick Dolan, the member who had actually suggested sacrificing a party member, became delirious and he stripped off all of his clothes and ran into the woods naked. Uh, he arrived a short time later. However, he died because if you run out in a blizzard and with no clothes on... Yeah, that's not a great idea. not going to go well. Yeah. I mean, I, I you can try it, but I don't really recommend it. <laughs> at this time uh lemuel murphy a 12 year old who's the youngest uh, is starting to to fade and so the group in an effort to save them decides that they have to strip the bodies of meat and uh, dry it out so that they can have some sort of nutrition so the group does this and they label all the meat so that none of the family members will have to eat one another um However, unfortunately, even after resorting to human flesh, uh, Murph, little Murphy passes away. Um, seven survivors finally reached the safety of the western side of the mountain on January 19th, 1847. And this is 35 days after leaving Donner Lake. Uh, and messages were dispatched immediately to settlements and area residents in hopes of creating a party to go rescue the rest of these uh, struggling individuals. And during all this time, uh, James Reed, he had actually arrived at Sutter's Fort. Um, a man traveling on horseback is going to travel a bit faster than a wagon train. And he had been waiting and looking for his family members ever since he got there. And each day he became more and more concerned um, until finally he was able to raise a search party. And because of Reed's efforts, uh they were able to get some relief parties to go through the mountains and help retrieve the survivors. Uh, the first relief party is sent out on February 19th. So it wasn't exactly a quick relief. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was just as dangerous for the relief parties to go into the mountains as it was for the Donner party to go out because of how deep the snow was. They couldn't take any pack animals uh, the men had to go in on foot and only bring what provisions they could carry on their backs. When the relief party of seven that was dispatched on February 19th got to Donner Lake, they actually thought the camp was deserted until a ghostly woman appeared from under the snow. These people were so malnourished that they kind of looked like stuff out of a horror movie. <laughs> I can imagine. Out of the 60 party members, 12 had passed away, and the remaining 48 was suffering from severe malnutrition. And unfortunately, because they couldn't bring in any pack animals, the weakest party members couldn't be rescued, and only those who could walk were taken out. Uh, 23 were rescued from Donner Lake on this trip, and Reed's family was actually part of this group. Uh, but even though Reed's family was rescued he still continued to cross the mountain and help with other relief efforts, which yeah, that's, kind that's of speaks awesome. to his character. Definitely. It, well, it, ignoring the uh, fact that he stabbed someone, um, definitely. Well, <laughs> well the, the party wanted to hang him. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I said before he was an asshole. 
uh, but he was still willing to go back and help bring out survivors. Yeah, and uh, February 21st, uh, the next relief party arrived. Uh, This was actually the first relief party that went the six miles to Alder Creek, went down the road, where uh, George Donner had broken his axle in his wagon. Um, And four children and two adults were rescued from this site. Um, Another relief party came on March 1st. Uh, This was the second relief party to Donner Lake. And this is where the first uh, accounted evidences of cannibalism occur from relief parties. Um, Patrick Breen had actually written earlier in his diary that Murphy said here yesterday that thought she would commence on Milt and eat him. I don't know that she has done it yet. It is distressing. Uh, The relief party did later find the mutilated body of Milt. Um, They went ahead and traveled on down to Alder Creek as well, and whenever they walked up to the camp, they saw Trudeau holding a human leg. And when they questioned him about it, Trudeau threw it into a hole in the snow, and whenever the relief party went over to see what he threw in there, uh, they found the body of Jacob Donner dismembered and uh, eaten from. Uh, Elizabeth Donner during this time refused to eat her husband. She just couldn't do it. However, she was forced to feed her children uh, from their father's corpse. On March 3rd, this is the same relief party. They leave, bringing, bringing along 17 of the remaining 25 immigrants. And two days later, they get caught in a blizzard. Uh, Isaac Donner, who's only five, he ends up freezing to death. And after the storm clears, a lot of the immigrants were had become too weak to carry on. Two of the relief party members and three of the refugees travel ahead in hopes of finding some food that had been stored on the relief party's first trip over the mountain. And those who remain behind, they become known as the Starved Camp. And unfortunately, no one is able to return to the Starved Camp until March 12th. And by this time, uh, three of the members of the camp had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, the March 12th group was the last relief party to make their way over the mountains. And their intention was to collect the last three members of the Donner Party. This included George Donner, his wife Tamsin, and Louis Kiesberg. George had been two weeks travel because of the injury that he actually sustained in November. He was very sick, and his wife had refused to leave him. And Keysburg was too weak to walk. And Miss Donner was afraid that they'd be forgotten, so she actually offered a $500 reward for people to return and rescue them. Uh, but when the relief party got to Donner Lake, they learned from Keysburg that George Donner had passed away, and that Tamsin had hiked to Donner Lake only to pass away shortly after her arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, one account actually says that Kiesberg was discovered reclining on the floor of his cabin and smoking a pipe, and that near his head, a fire was blazing upon which a camp kettle was filled with human flesh. His feet were resting on a pile of skulls and dislocated limbs. His appearance was haggard and revolting. His beard was of great length. His fingernails had grown out until they resembled the claws of beasts. Yeah, and there's also, um, because of the sens- sensationalization of the story, uh, oh, newspapers yeah. were reporting that Keysburg actually enjoyed um, eating the corpses of his friends, but Keysburg 
rebutted this and basically said that it was it was absolutely horrible and that they should be ashamed for even saying that he would enjoy that. Um, yeah, Kiesberg was actually interviewed in the 1870s by a historian, and he talked about how disgusting it was for him to even remember eating a corpse. Mm-hmm. And of the 87 people who joined the Donner Party in their journey through the pass, uh, 48 survived. Three quarters of the survivors were women and children, with men suffering the most casualties. Many of the children of the families remained orphaned and would grow up refusing to comment on their experiences that cold, long winter. This story is uh, sort of fascinating because the instant that the first survivors stumbled over the mountain range, they became this group of ghastly celebrities. Mm-hmm. Uh the horrors that they had encountered, both the real horrors and also imagine the sensationalized account that just swept the nation. It, it has been retold time and time again. I mean, this, this happened in the 1840s and here we are talking about it today. Mm-hmm. That's quite a lot of longevity for a story Absolutely. of a group of pioneers going to California. It's definitely kind of captured, um, I want to say, the morbid imagination of, of Americans and even worldwide uh, because of the atrocities that happened and the unfortunate circumstances that led to this. Uh, so it, it, it's something that will always need to be remembered because it's important to remember that these individuals were human and they weren't just beasts doing this because they wanted to they did this because they had to oh yeah and, and like i said when we started uh they were sort of the pioneers of the pioneers mm-hmm. they were one of the first groups to go over the california trail so this tragedy sort of set the tone for Absolutely. people heading west it really sort of highlighted the worst case scenario uh and over the years it's the story has become inflated and there's a lot of uh, pop culture accounts, books, movies, etc., that sort of portray the Donner Party as a group of savages. People who just want to fight and kill and, and eat each other. Absolutely. But I think it's important to remember that the story kind of shows that that was not the case. It was far from it. The people who were part of the Forlorn Hope, they actually labeled the meat from the different people that way no one would have to eat their family members mothers shielded their children from the truth it was it was horrible it was repugnant no one wanted to do it but it all came down to an issue of survival Absolutely. and and that's what the story is really about is what would you do if you were stranded for four months with no food absolutely We would like to thank you all for listening to the Horde History Podcast. Uh, Be sure to check out our website to view some more tidbits that we couldn't fit into our half-hour episode here, including archaeological finds and actual diaries. Yeah, we've got we've got photos, videos, other tidbits, all sorts of stuff that we just we couldn't include on the show because trust me, I can ramble about history all day long, but I doubt you guys want to listen to that. Thank you all once again, and have a great day. 
yeah, be sure to like us on Facebook and visit HordeHistory.com. And see ya! See ya! Thank you.